I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm James, one of the co-hosts of What's in a Name, the podcast you are about to listen to. Have you ever wished that there was an easy and simple way to create a website? If so, you might be interested in Squarespace. Now, let me tell you. I have used Squarespace to create websites in the past and every time it has been a fucking nightmare. Stay the hell away from Squarespace, that's my advice. But that's not why I'm here. I just want to let you guys know that there will be some discussion of coronavirus in this episode. So if that sort of thing freaks you out, hit stop. Come back to this episode later on when all of this is blown over. Your mental health is more important than our podcast. Just. As isn't, but yours is. Everyone else, here we go. Strap in. Strap in? Metaphorically, strap in. Welcome to What's in a Name, the podcast all about what names mean and how they came to be. I am James. And I am Anna. So Anna, are you feeling hot? I am feeling pretty well. Uh, Slightly warm, maybe. Can you say you're feeling hot? I'm feeling very hot. Me too. And I think that's because we've got ourselves a fever. A fever for the etymology of nouns. But don't worry, there is no need for us to self-isolate ourselves. Because (laughs) this melody is not contagious, although our enthusiasm may prove infectious. We are going to look at something ripped from the headlines. The etymology of disease names. Brilliant. Beautiful. Absolutely, that's what we're doing. Do you like it? I wrote that in advance. Yeah, I couldn't tell. <laughs> that very spontaneous. <laughs> I just thought one of us should be professional. Oh, oh okay, I see. <laughs> right. So, you know, you can't have failed to notice that there is a global pandemic happening. I think I've heard something about that, yeah. So, you know, we thought we'd go topical in the hope of gaining maybe three or four listeners out of this. Glean some of those sweet clicks. Yeah, exactly. In the post-apocalyptic society, attention is money. That's how it's going to work. <laughs> so, I have researched the the word on everyone's lips. Even my six-year-old daughter has said to the TV, why do they only talk about coronavirus? So, I feel like we, we should address that one first. Mm-hmm. The, the name for coronavirus comes from the fact that it is one of the coronaviridae, which is um, a, a family of viruses of which SARS was one, but it's kind of a generic term. So it it would be a bit like if we called all colds the rhinovirus. Because, you know, there are many different rhinoviruses. Ah. And so there are many different coronaviruses. And that's why you may have noticed people have started referring to COVID-19. So do you know where COVID-19 comes from? 
I heard about this earlier today. Um, COVID actually refers to the coronavirus part of the name and 19 is the year that it started, right? Yep. So COVID is a kind of initialism of coronavirus disease. So it takes C-O-V-I-D. And then, yeah, 19 is 2019 for the year it was discovered. However, COVID-19 is actually the name of the disease and the virus itself is called 2019 NCOV, meaning the 2019 novel coronavirus or the new coronavirus discovered in 2019. I didn't know that. That's really cool. And now you do know that. Now I do. And that information will be very helpful for whoever is left to rebuild society afterwards. (laughs) Okay, we should put a content warning at the top of this one. Yes, I think we probably should. (laughs) But, you know, that's it for the topical stuff. We're going to look at some other diseases. Uh, Which ones have you researched for us, Anna? Right, okay, so I don't know if we could call this one a disease, it's more of a symptom, but the reason I want to include it is because before I even told them we were doing an episode on diseases, a couple of my friends, Helena and Rachie, um, asked me where the word diarrhoea comes from, (laughs) due to an incident with a puppy that we don't need to describe. (laughs) (laughs) So... And I thought that was a really interesting question, firstly because they thought to ask it, which means my reputation precedes me. Your reputation as an enthusiastic defecator, right? (laughs) No, hey! No, purely as a a fan of linguistics and etymology. I assure you, I assure you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I could tell it was Greek and that's all I could give them. So I looked it up and it's contained of two Greek words. We've got dia, which means through, and rain, R-H-E-I-N, which means flow. So it means through flow. Very charming. <laughs> Do you Are you aware of what um, diarrhea is in German? No. It is Dirkfall. <laughs> Dirkfall. Yeah, which, which literally means like through fall. Yes, actually, I, yeah, that rings a bell. That's very cool. It sounds great. <laughs> it sounds a lot better than it is. <laughs> Um, But Rhine uh, came through Proto-Germanic to Old English as Rhine, R-I-N-E, which, and you might have heard that as a word for river. It's fairly common. There's the river Rhine flowing through Europe. Okay, so, oh, that's not, that's not good for the Rhine, is it? (laughs) It's not great for the Rhine, that connotation, but we don't need to think about that. No. When paddling, and I'm sure, to very clean waters. (laughs) That's really cool. Since, we, since we've been messing around in and around uh, Germanic languages, I'm going to go for another one. So, measles uh, is a pluralization of uh, the word mesel, which was borrowed from Dutch and European languages, meaning blemish. Do you think we'll ever give it back? <laughs> Seems unlikely, given our history. Yeah, quite. Um, <laughs> So, you know, to to have the measles means to have blemishes. And that is expressed in an interesting way because there are actually multiple diseases called measles. They're not all um, human measles. Okay. So did you know that, that pigs and cattle can also get measles? No. Oh, poor pigs and cattle. Yeah, but it's not the, um, it's not the same type of disease. It's caused by larval tapeworms. Mm. Um, and trees can also get measles. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm not sure what causes it, but the it, the leaves get covered in spots. Really? You know, measles, yeah, measles is a very generic term. They should be called treasels. <laughs> just, my, just my thought there. Yeah, they definitely should. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so, so measles is quite a, quite a generic term that has come to mean one specific uh, disease. Okay. Uh, I want to charge ahead with haemophilia, if that's okay. I mean, it sounds like you should go to a doctor, but charge ahead anyway. <laughs> it does. <laughs> I'll charge ahead carefully. Um, 
So the reason I think this is interesting, and you know, it's occurred to me to wonder about it before, but I've never looked into it before. Why does it end with philia? Yes, good question. So we usually see the philia suffix as meaning love of or sexual attraction to. Mm-hmm. It seems to have that very specific niche in our culture, but it turns out philia, as derived from the Greek philos, is actually much broader than that. It means a tendency towards or a preference for as well. Okay. Because it actually feels as the sort of fraternal love. So mm-hmm. it's more about affinity than romance. I was going to say, is it more of an affinity for? Yeah, absolutely. So we've got um, Hema, which is the Greek for blood, and philia, which is a tendency towards, meaning there's a tendency to bleed there. Um, so interestingly, external cuts actually aren't the major issue for haemophiliacs. Internal hemorrhaging is far more serious and far more likely. Um, so I looked into hemorrhage as well. We've got Hema again for blood and re- <laughs> let's see if I can pronounce this correctly, Regnunai, which means burst. Mm. So that's gross but informative, which is kind of what we're going for with this episode, I feel. <laughs> it's interesting how many um how many diseases sort of find their roots within Greek, because I I guess that is the the earliest civilization from which we we have, you know, the the sciences. Absolutely. And their medical profession as well was um, uh, formative, I would say. they had. Was it them who came up with the theory of the four humours? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So they've kind of stamped their sort of uh, impression on all medical history. So even now, um, a lot of medical language is heavily informed by ancient Greek. So um, we'll return to that later, actually, because I've got a little I've got a little segment on that. But let's let's do some more uh, diseases first. Mm hmm. As as is traditional, I have been looking into again the uh, the English ones, the English words. Nice. So chickenpox. Why do you imagine chickenpox is called chickenpox? So pox are just generally a sort of spotty disease, mm-hmm. and I imagine we thought we caught them from chickens. We did not. <laughs> okay, I imagined wrong. At least there is no there's no evidence that we thought that. Obviously, cowpox was well known to to be caught from cows uh there's the famous story of how um the scientists noticed that the milkmaids did not catch smallpox and that was because they were catching cowpox and being uh immunized sort of by proxy by proxy (laughs) 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 but chickenpox there are a couple of theories some are quite outlandish. One is that the pox resemble chickpeas, like when they are inflated with a uh, fluid, which sounds sounds unlikely. Vile, sure. Yes. <laughs> um, another one is that the the small red spots look like henpecks. Um, again, that is, I I wouldn't go so far as to say apocryphal, but it's certainly unsubstantiated. Mm-hmm. Um, so my favourite of the theories and one that is possibly the most likely is that um in middle english uh, there were two words um there was yitcher or itchin which meant to itch which comes from an old english word uh gitchen how oh, interesting the idea is or the theory is that um chicken pox is a sort of bastardization of of gitchen pox meaning the pox which itch oh that is so interesting that makes sense to me so yeah i i enjoyed that theory um although i should i should state this is one of those etymologies that is uh uncertain and unlikely to become certain unless someone discovers sort of a 
you know, a 10th century dictionary that tells us exactly what we need to know. <laughs> sure, sure. I gotta say, I really enjoy the fact that I veer towards Latin and Greek and you really know your old English stuff. That's very cool. <laughs> we found our niches. I think so. I think so. Um, the next one I've got, if you're ready. I am always ready. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Uh, is diamond black fan anemia. Oh, that childhood classic, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right? No, I was so interested when I came across the name for this condition today. Diamond black fan anemia sounds so exotic. I mean, what would you assume from that? Diamond black fan anemia. So I would imagine um, it's obviously it's a form of blood disease, hence anemia. Mm-hmm. Um, I would imagine it perhaps leaves um, black marks on your skin. That was my guess too. I thought maybe there's a distinctive pattern on the skin or or maybe even some connection to an exotic snake. Uh, it turns out in the 1930s, there was a Dr. Louis K. Diamond and a Dr. Kenneth D. Blackfan who catalyzed <laughs> it. <laughs> so, <laughs> Diamond Blackfan anemia is named after two doctors and life is full of disappointments. <laughs> <laughs> But to get into the anemia side of it, though, we've got an, which is a Greek prefix meaning without, and hema again, so blood. Um, it's a condition that means the bone marrow doesn't make enough red blood cells. So to be missing blood. Mm -hmm. uh, the thing I find interesting about that is that there are a lot of diseases that are named after the first patient. Like it, it tends to be typical that if you are diagnosed, if you're the first person diagnosed, the disease is named after you as a sort of consolation prize. <laughs> Sure, I hadn't thought of it in those terms, but yeah. Interestingly, I have learned that um, the medical profession as a whole is trying to move away from conditions named after the first person diagnosed with it, because that's quite esoteric. Um, whereas if you can remember the component parts, like what it's doing to the body, which part of the body it affects, you can kind of piece together the name of a condition if you just know what it is. So things like anemia that are descriptive of what's going on, you know, that, that's easier to remember than if you had to name it after the first person. Yeah, I mean, that that makes sense. Um, Lou Gehrig's disease. Yes. Yeah, that's, is that ASL? It is ALS, yeah. ALS. <laughs> ASL Sorry. or something else. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> showing, my, uh, showing my internet history there. That's not great. Yeah. <laughs> we definitely don't want to see your internet history. <laughs> no, no, you don't. Would you like to take the next word, James? <laughs> yeah, moving swiftly on. <laughs> um, have you looked into the flu? I did. Uh, okay, shall we do this one together? All right, go for it. You start. Obviously, flu is a contraction of influenza, and mm -hmm. that is an Italian word meaning influence. Yes, correct. You you pick it up. So, um, influence in the original Latin was also used to refer to an outbreak of an epidemic. It was first used specifically to refer to one outbreak of the flu and then got adopted over here. Do you know why why they gave it the term influentia as they did that specific outbreak? Not the nuance of it, so by all means. It was thought to be um, that the disease came from the influence of the cold and the influence of the stars and planets. Really? So it was originally uh, influenza di Freddo and influenza di Stelle. Oh, that's interesting. I missed that. There you go. Ah, oh, very nice. I do like that you can uh, that you can fill in the gaps there. <laughs> I mean that that sort of speaks to the the past of not knowing the origins of diseases and being unaware of the sort of microscopic causes, and you know having to do the best with the science available at the time, which is 
well, the, the skies have changed and the <laughs> sure. weather's changed, so maybe it's one of those. Yeah, must be. What else could it possibly be? Um, and the last thing that I looked up was epidemic. For that, again, we're looking at Greek. We've got epi, which is a prefix meaning upon, and demos, which means the people, and is also the root that we get demographic and democracy from. So an epidemic comes upon the people. I'm trying to think if there are other words that use epi. Epilepsy? Epilepsy. Yeah. Yeah. Epilepsy, as in uh, a seizure that comes upon the brain. Makes sense. So what's lepsy doing in that one? As, as in paralepsy, right? It's uh, lepsy is from ancient Greek lepsis, meaning seizure. Oh, very nice. Okay. All right. That's good to know. Okay. And that, so that brings me very quickly to um, the little section that I was going to do, which I am calling Greek Corner. And that's not not as in a yogurt, <laughs> although it could be. Shame, sounds delicious. <laughs> so there are lots of medical conditions which have uh, Greek suffixes. Um, and I was interested a bit in what they mean. So in our very first episode, if you can remember all the way back to that, uh, we talked about an algia. Do you remember algia? I do remember algia. Meaning a pain or ache from the Greek algos. Um, so there are lots of other ones like that. So an osis is an abnormal condition. Yes, we touched on that as well. An itis is a swelling or inflammation. Is it? All itises are derived from arthritis, which meant a disease of the joints. Well, heavens. Okay. So they sort of repurpose the suffix um, for that. Kind of in a, a way that, like, alcoholic is someone who is addicted to alcohol and chocoholic is someone who is addicted to chocohol. <laughs> yeah, quite right. Maybe, yeah, and, you know, I have this thing about a helicopter as well. Yep. <laughs> Coming from helico and pter, when we just break things down incorrectly and add copter onto stuff. <laughs> Oma, meaning tumour. Uh, mm-hmm. I, you've heard the word blastoma, for example. Yep, yep. So the oma suffix was borrowed from from Greek into English. It's a word that transforms a verb into a noun. Really? I'm not sure why they chose that, but an example of its usage is that um, schizo in in Greek means divide, and schisma means that which has been divided. Okay, okay, that's... So we've just decided that the M-A ending, and O-M-A in particular, is uh, the nouning of a verb. Mm -hmm. Is that gerunds or do gerunds work the other way around? (laughs) I don't know. Uh, Gerund is like going for a walk, so that's a verb into a noun. Yeah. And yeah, so there are a couple of others. I've also got rear in there, which means, Mm -hmm. uh, as you said, comes from uh, the Greek roya, which means flowing. Mm -hmm. Um, And phagia, which is... uh, something that eats yeah very nice okay i gotta say i like that my energy through that section was just gentle shock (laughs) that's what i bring to this podcast i am gently shocked at the things i learn yep i mean this disease is one is getting us all in our mortality (laughs) so that brings us on to our second section um Mm -hmm. which we call any other names any other names yay (laughs) well done i don't get fired from the podcast this is good this is very good (laughs) it's all on the line for me folks it'll be very difficult to find another co-host at this stage (laughs) so in this section we come up with new terms for existing conditions in this case ah now that's not the brief that you gave me okay i have made up some new conditions well, that's that's also <laughs> fine. Yeah, go for it. Uh, the new invented diseases that I have decided to name are anacrania, which is from, it's again Greek. We've got ana, meaning without, and cranion, which means skull or cranium. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and it means without a head. <laughs> uh, it's actually a neck condition. The neck atrophies so much that when any pressure is applied to the chin, the head pops off like a cork. That sounds terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't it? Um, so interestingly, I had in my in the previous section, I had migraine, um, which I didn't get to. Do you know where migraine comes from? I don't. It also comes from cranion, but um, the my part is the second half of the word hemi. So hemicranion became my crane, became migraine. And, you know, it, it means half a head, basically. So pain in half of your head. Goodness me. And that's what a migraine is. There was something else I was going to say. Oh, yeah, I was going to take the piss out of you. <laughs> For what? <laughs> but just ana- anacranium. What? Makes it sound What's like the, the, the condition of having a head like Anna. <laughs> Listen, I can't help it if my name is everywhere. <laughs> it's just the universe telling us something. Clearly very important. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. Do you want my second made up one before we go on to your actual conditions? Yes, let's do that. So I've also got polyglossia. Um, as a lot of us will know, a polyglot is someone who knows many languages it's mm-hmm. also Greek. It's from poly, meaning many, and glossa, meaning tongue, because we often do use tongue to mean language. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this case, though, it really does mean many tongues. Uh, fun <laughs> fact, not all of them are in the mouth. That's upsetting. <laughs> Isn't it? It's extremely upsetting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I went a different direction on this now, because who knows what kind of Lovecraftian images we would have conjured up. Like, yeah, yeah. We don't want to leave um, people with that, do we? I'm immediately thinking of like di- diphallic. Oof, heavens, yep. Which is a real condition. It is. Sadly, they don't both work. So it sounds like a blessing, but it's not. I'll drag us back to more family-friendly territory. <laughs> um, so I was thinking, right? When You know when people say they have a cold? Everyone knows what it means. It means you've got a runny nose, you're sneezing. However, the fact that it's called a cold... Presumably because it resembles the symptoms you have when you are out in the cold, has given rise to a, an ongoing misconception that being cold gives you a cold. Right, yes. Like um, going out in the rain without a jacket. Yeah. I'm sure there are things it can do to weaken your immune system, but it does not in itself give you a cold. So what does? The rhinovirus. It's, it is viral. Okay. The rhinovirus. I know it's because rhino <laughs> means nose, but it does make me think of rhinos. My suggestion is that to, to try and stamp out this, you know, misconception, we rename the common cold into something else. The The example I've come up with is rhinorrhea. Gross. Runny nose. Runny nose. Exactly. Because I think that, as you say, that as a name describes the symptoms, you can arrive at that purely under your own steam. Yeah. If you were to describe the disease, that would if be If you a have symptom. a passing knowledge of ancient Greek, as we all now do. <laughs> it's It would be good for public understanding of science to, to make it clear that the disease is not in any way related to being cold. I'm on board with that. I like that idea. Good. It also sounds like something I can more plausibly sign myself off work with. Exactly. That was pretty much what I was thinking. <laughs> because, you know, if you say, oh, I've got a cold, people are like, oh, just come into work. And personally, I am of the opinion that if you go into work while you know you're ill and infectious you are extremely selfish and helping no one so if you can if you can say to yourself i have rhinorrhea you will feel more able to take time off work than if you say oh it's just a cold i do feel like people do that mostly out of fear of losing their jobs so i have some sympathy there but i do agree (laughs) and i think we are in the midst of a cultural shift on that front so if nothing else that (laughs) that much is certain yes 
So, okay, along similar lines, there is a tendency for people to to say, I'm, I'm not coming into work because I have the flu. When what they mean is, I have a cold, but I feel embarrassed to say I have a cold. Mm. So to tackle this problem from the other direction, which is that we allow people to refer to sort of moderately bad colds as the flu, which devalues the actual flu. Have you ever had the actual flu, Anna? I don't know that I have. You would know if you have, because you sort of... You wake up one day and are physically unable to move. Um, I once had swine flu and the the way I realised I had swine flu was because I woke up and five hours later I had been unable to move from the position I woke up in. Wow, heavens above. It took me the best part of 12 hours to sit upright and that condition lasted for a week and a half. Oh, that's rough. Yeah, it is extremely bad. And so that flu... I propose, you know, the actual influenza. Mm-hmm. I propose we rename uh, total fuckosis. Okay, yeah, because you're totally fucked. Because you are totally fucked, and I feel like people would stop saying that they had the flu um, if they knew they had to tell their boss I had total fuckosis. <laughs> okay. Because you know that's quite a serious thing to have to say. Yes, I was totally, totally unable to move. So swine flu. Yes. Why was it called H1N1? Uh, H1N1 was the name of the virus as it was categorised. Sure. So it wasn't short for anything. It was just a code. No, um, no. All I think all flu viruses specifically have a, a letter and number designation in the format H1N1. I think uh, bird flu was H1N5, was it? Was it? Something okay. like that. Yeah. But that's that's the convention for, for naming flu viruses specifically, I think. I'm learning so much. I really love this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I hope other people are learning too. Well, frankly, at this point, that's secondary. I mean, I hope so as well, but (laughs) I'm having fun. (laughs) Okay, that brings us to the end of our disease episode. Uh, I hope everyone out there suffering from COVID-19 gets well soon. If you have any other disease, stop clogging up the hospitals. We really need those ventilators. Oh, (laughs) also get well soon. Man, when did you get so mean? Also get well soon. Fine, (laughs) I suppose. And here's to a happy and healthy tomorrow. My name is James, and if you want to complain about anything that I've said on this episode, you can reach me on Twitter at, at James Hunt. And I am Anna, and I imagine you don't want to complain about anything I've said because I've been a delight. But you can reach me at Boots Magoo. And we have a joint podcast Twitter, which is at WIAN Podcast, uh, where you can find subscription links, word related nonsense, mostly us promoting this thing you've just listened to. Um, it's not, it's not for you guys. Retweets of interesting word things we find. That is true. We do that as well. Goodbye. Take care. And, uh, we will speak to you next week. Bye.
When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.